So the next day, when it was my turn to give my speech, I threw away my speech, my nice, you know, speech, and I said, I said, you know, I don't really understand how chanting stuff like that could possibly be your spiritual practice. Hi, everybody. This is Rabbi Ariel Scholklapper, and you're about to tune in to a recording of Norman Fisher, who is a Jewish Zen master, speaking about an experience he had in a conference held by the Dalai Lama and Thomas Merton, in which he decided to embark on a journey of re-encountering the Psalms as we know them. And so you'll hear his story, and you'll also hear a really passionate reading and re-imagination of the Psalms in quite a powerful way. So enjoy, and if you love it, go to jmctx.org and subscribe. Or share it with a friend who could really hear this and enjoy it and benefit from it right now. Well, uh, I am grateful to see all of you. I'm, I'm happy I'm still alive, and I'm happy that you're alive too. And uh, thank you, Rabbi, again for inviting me. And I thought I would uh, talk a little bit about Psalms, Tehillim. Uh, I think Rabbi mentioned one, one of my uh, books is called Opening to You, Zen-Inspired Translations of Psalms. And uh, I'll tell you a little story uh, about how I came to do that translation. Uh, it was not something I intended to do. I'm not a learned Hebraist by any stretch of the imagination, and, and I never would have intentionally taken up a project like that. But what happened was I was invited to a uh, interreligious dialogue at Gethsemane Monastery, which is Thomas Merton's monastery in Kentucky. And Merton had met the Dalai Lama actually on the final journey of his life, uh, the journey uh, they took, I think, in 1968 uh, to Asia, the, the first and last time he went to Asia. And he died in an accident in Bangkok on the way home from that trip. But on that trip, he had met the Dalai Lama and they really hit it off. And so uh, Dalai Lama arranged for a big interreligious conference at Merton's monastery in, in some time in the early 1990s. And uh, so I was there and it was a, interreligious conferences, if, you, if you've ever been to one, they're kind of boring. Everybody gets up and gives speeches, and uh, in a way, because you're talking to a sort of mixed audience, so to speak, you kind of give these sort of explanations. It's, you don't, you don't. You, the real stuff is complaining about your faith tradition, you know. And not, but you don't do that in an interreligious conference. You say all these nice things. And, so anyway, it was going like that, and it was pretty boring. But at the same time, we were all encouraged to go and practice with the monastics because we were living at the monastery. So every there are five times a day, starting in the middle of the night, or maybe it's seven or eight times a day, actually. 
they go into the choir and they do their practice. And so we were joining them for that, those of us who wanted to. And I went, I went to all the time to their practice. And, and I, I didn't know this, but the practice in the rule of St. Benedict in all Catholic monasteries is to recite the Psalms in addition to reading scripture. And so I happen to be there uh, and they go, you know, and around. And I happened to be there on the day they were chanting the 137th Psalm, which is really a terrible Psalm, terrible. It's a Psalm uh, where uh, the speaker is in exile and uh, is feeling very bitter, you know, about the loss of the temple and the loss of the homeland. And so at the end of the Psalm, uh, it's a call for vengeance. And it's saying, um, I hope, God, that you will answer my prayer here and you will venge me on my enemies and, and that you will take, the, take their infant children and smash their heads against the rocks so that I can feel better about things. And I'm sitting there in the choir and, and these angelic voices were chanting this, right? And I'm shocked, right? I, I, I'm not that familiar with Psalms and I didn't really didn't know about that one. I mean, that's one of the ones that you, know, you don't want to eat. Mostly when you read Psalms, you don't read that one, right? So the next day when it was my turn to give my speech, I threw away my speech, my nice you know, speech. And I said, I said, you know, I don't really understand how chanting stuff like that could possibly be your spiritual practice. And I didn't say that, you know, in, in a mean way, because I was very impressed with the monastery and with the monks and the whole thing. And I, and I could see they were really great people, serious people. So I was sincerely asking, you know, I was saying, you know, I, I don't, I, I can see, I said that to them, I, I can see, you know, how, how really serious and great you people are. And so how this can be your practice to recite stuff like this is really beyond me and can somebody please explain it to me and so and i sat down and then that was a kind of a famous moment in the conference because after that everybody else threw away their speeches too and they all got up and started saying very real stuff about what the psalms meant to them and what their practice meant to them and then the whole conference took on a different tone as we began to talk more honestly and more sincerely about our spiritual practice of various sorts Anyway, uh, that got me into the Psalms, and I thought, wow, you know, I, I really should, I have never really thought about these texts, and I really want to think about them more, so I'm going to study them a little bit. And at that same moment, um, one of my sons, who was a college student at that time, traveling around the world like college students often do, he was in Israel. And he came back and he brought me for a present, a tiny little Psalter about this big with all 150 of the Tehillim in it, Hebrew on one side of the page and English on the other side of the page. And it was very nice, you could put it in your pocket. And so uh, I was always going on airplanes. So um, for fun, so that I could study the Psalms, I would, study the little Psalter and I would read the Hebrew and I would read the English and I would think about the text and I would then 
just fooling around in my notebook, make my own versions of the Psalms and tinker with them. And, and I realized, now, now, I must tell you that I can read Hebrew and I understand some Hebrew words, but I could never translate Hebrew. I don't know Hebrew well enough. However, I have a long practice of poetry. I, most of my books, I've published a lot of books. Almost all of them are books of poems. So I've done a lot of poetry uh, work. And so I have a feeling for the, the texture and heft of language. So I could feel the Hebrew. And I, and I could feel that the English translations, especially the King James translation, which is a beautiful translation in the English. It's, it's actually a high point. The King James version of the Bible is a high point in English literature. But it doesn't really reproduce the feeling of Hebrew, of biblical Hebrew, and of Hebrew in the Psalms, which is very elemental. I could tell, you know, even though I couldn't really understand, you know, I could tell by the sound of the words and the way they appeared on the page. There was a different flavor to these poems. And the other thing is that they are poems. They're actually poems. And when they're translated, they're never translated as poems by poets. They're translated, you know, as scripture. So I thought, what if I translated these Psalms in the simple way that they appear in Hebrew? And what if I translated them as poetry rather than as scripture? I wonder what that would sound like. So I began doing this. I only, almost only ever did it on airplanes and waiting for airplanes. And before I knew it, I had a bunch of these things and I didn't know what to do with them. And I forget how it happened, but uh, somehow uh, my literary agent thought that this would be something people would be interested in. And uh, then he placed them with a publisher, uh, Penguin, I think, in New York. And uh, they wanted, a, I didn't want to call them translations because I said, gee, you know, that's, I can't claim that these are translations. But they wanted to call them translations, and uh, they pointed out to me that at the time, and still, it was very current for people to claim to be translating from the languages that they didn't know. You know, that, that's very commonplace, it turns out, you know. So uh, anyway, for, the, for their purposes, uh, commercially, it was very important that they be called translations, and I said, okay, because I was faithful to the, to the original, and I was following English language versions, you know, so I knew what the meaning of every word was. And I also had dictionaries and whatnot. So I was faithful, uh, not too interpretive or free with the translation. So I said, okay, call them translations. And, and what was surprising to me was that, th now this is a long time ago now, it's almost 20 years ago that I did this. And what was so surprising to me was that so many, I, I intended the book to be for people like myself who really didn't know the Psalms that well. But what surprised me is that all over the world, in the last 20 years, people who know the Psalms really well, meaning like other people who are monastics in Christian monasteries, as well as uh, Jews who pray the Psalms and know Hebrew well. I, I remember I was even somewhere where there was like a guy who was a professor of Hebraic studies, you know, and was a translator. 
and uh, said that some of the solutions that I had come up with in translation were very unusual and quite accurate to the Hebrew, which was shocked me, you know. Um, anyway, so I, I really enjoy these Psalms. And, and the thing about it is that they're really great for right now because this is a drastic moment, right? Aren't we all like freaked out here, right? I mean, uh, my children and grandchildren live in New York where number one, the COVID epidemic was at its height. And number two, there's protests in the streets and, and some, some degree of violence. So uh, between the COVID virus that's thrown everything into chaos and doubt, and there's so much fear around that, between that and now this, um, all these protests, which are really, I, I think, not only a reaction to the systemic racism that sadly, we're really only recently waking up to. It's not only a cry out against that horror, but also it's a cry out about our fear for our own lives in this virus time are being cooped up inside our houses, so many of us. And also a pent up outcry, I think, uh, about what's been going on in our country for the last three years. There's been the, the divisiveness and the rhetoric and the upset has just been increasing and increasing, increasing for, for quite a long time now. And really exponentially in the last three or four years. So all of that, I think, is erupting right in front of us in this moment. And it's quite, you know, we're all feeling it. And the thing is, the Psalms are almost entirely written out of that feeling of dismay and horror, really, for the human condition. And most specifically, that feeling of despair that you get when you look around you and you see what a mess we're in collectively, when sometimes you feel like the victim of that mess, you feel oppressed by it. And you, and you, and you finally can't but cry out with a cry from the heart and say, you know, I can't stand it anymore. And it's at that place when you cry out and you express yourself that you are met by something within you and outside of you that we call God. Some feeling enters your heart and lifts you up. And this happens in almost every psalm where the psalmist is expressing this bitter anguish. And then suddenly at the bottom of that pit is lifted up from within and without. So I thought, so that's what I wanted to say to you. And um, I thought I would uh, read you one of these, the 22nd Psalm, which is a long one, um, but very, very passionate. My God, my God, why? Have you 
forsaken me? Why so far from my delivery, so empty in the anguish of my words? I call to you in the daytime, but you don't answer. And all night long, I plead restlessly, uselessly. I know your holiness, find it in the memorized praises uttered by those who've struggled with you through all the generations. These, my forebears, trusted you, and through their trusting, you touched them, held and delivered them. They cried out to you, and you met them face to face. Their confidence was strong, and they were not confounded. But I am not as they. Utterly alone, I am cast out of the circle. A worm, a living reproach, scorned and despised, even less than despised, unheard, unseen, unacknowledged, denied. And all who encounter me revile me with cynic laughter, shaking their heads, parting their nattering lips, mocking, let him throw himself at God for his deliverance, they say, since that is who he trusts. Let the Lord save him. And they are right. How not trust you? And what else to trust? You I entered on leaving the womb. You, I drank at my mother's breast. I was cast upon you at birth, and even before birth, I swam in you, my heart's darkness. Be not far from me now, when suffering is very near, and there is no help, and I am beset all round by threatening powers, the bulls of Bashan, gaping their dismal braying mouths, their ravenous roaring lion mouths. I am poured out like water. My bones joints are snapped like twigs. My heart melts like wax, flooding my bowels with searing, viscid emotion. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves woolly to the roof of my mouth, and I feel my body dissolving into death's dusts. For I am hounded by my isolation and cast off and encircled by that assembly of the violent who like vicious dogs snap at my hands and feet. I count the bones of my naked body as the mongrels shift and stare and circle they divide my clothes among themselves, casting lots for them. So now, in this very place, I call on you. There is no one left. Do not be far from me. Be the center of the center of the circle 
be the strength of that center, the power of the absence that is the center. Deliver my life from the killing sharpnesses. Deliver my soul from the feverish dogs. Save me from the lion mouths. Answer me with the voice of the ram's horn. And I will seek and form and repeat your name among my kinsmen. In the midst of everyone, I will compose praises with my lips. And those who enter your awesomeness through my words will also praise. All the seed of Yaakov will glorify you and live in awe of you. All those who question and struggle will dawn with your light, for they will know you have not scorned the poor and despised nor recoiled, disgusted from their faces. From them, your spark has never been hidden. And when they cried out in their misery, you heard and answered and ennobled them. And it is the astonishment of this that I will praise in the great assembly, making deep vows in the presence of those who know your heart. Know that in you the meek eat and are satisfied, and all who seek and struggle find the tongue to praise, saying to you, may your heart live forever. May all the ends of the earth remember and return to you and all the families of all the nations bow before you for all that is, is your domain. Your flame kindles all that lives and breathes and you are the motive force of all activity, the yearning of the grasses, the lover's ardor. And they that rise up, live and eat the fat of the earth will bow before you, before you will bow. All those who lie down find peace and enter the dust. Distant ages to come shall serve you, shall be related to you in future times. Those people not yet born will sing of your uprightness, your evenness, your brightness to a people not yet born that is still to come, that this is how you are. So, Usually, our idea is, let's avoid any kind of difficulty. If it appears, let's fix it immediately. If we can't fix it, let's go somewhere else. If we can't get, go somewhere else, let's watch a video and try to forget about it. Because we don't like bad stuff. And that's natural. Nobody likes bad stuff. But the Psalms are telling us, that there is bad stuff. It's in us, it's all around us, and it's unavoidable. And if we're willing to face it and really feel it with the full passion of our heart, something will happen. We will be met by something inside us and outside us. We call it Yudhe or God in English. We feel it in our sitting practice. 
around the edges, a glow. And it's a, it's a very real thing that we must depend on because there's nothing else to depend on. And I think the Psalms say that over and over again, every, every one of them just about. <clears throat> 